I feel the Lord has given me a word for this moment. I, I, I want to speak today. It's very simple, really, just one point. And we're going to kind of hit it from a couple different angles, but we're going to let the Lord help us. And uh, I, I, feel, I feel today to speak on this subject, you need to let go of what's left. You need to let go of what's left. I wonder if you could just find maybe three or four there around you and just tell them you need to let go of what's left. To let go of what's left. I, I, I speak today from a biblical story about a mother, but it's um, not necessarily a message specifically geared towards mothers that I feel to preach about today. I believe the word of the Lord would desire to speak to all of us in this room today. But it is that we find this story of this particular mother in the book of 1 Kings. And it is that when we are introduced to her, we find her in a pretty pitiful condition. For the city that her and her son are living in is enduring the nightmare of a great and tragic famine. No food. Barely any food. Barely any water. Famine has so gripped the entire region, the entire land. No sustenance, no necessities, no provision, no essentials for living could be found. And it was during this time that separate but concurrent to what this woman was going through, 80 miles away God is having a conversation with the prophet by the name of Elijah. He speaks to Elijah and he says, I want you to go to the city where that woman was and the city's name was Zarephath. And he said, I want you to go to Zarephath. And the Lord tells him that, he, that this, uh, in this city called Zarephath that he would find a widow, the mother of our story. And that when he found her, that she would feed him and that she would sustain him through the drought. Stay with me as I build a foundation. And so it is that Elijah sets off on this journey and as he's entering into the gates of the city, he looks over and he sees this woman picking up some sticks. She had no doubt picked up sticks in this manner countless hundreds of times for countless hundreds of meals that she would cook for her and her family. But the tears streaming down her face on this particular moment spoke volumes to the fact that there was something different about this time. Wiping the tears from her eyes as fast as they would fall so she could look through bloodshot eyes to locate another stick for you see this was going to be the last time she was ever going to have to pick up sticks in order to build a fire in order to cook another meal for her and her son. And the reason was because they had all but ran out of meal and they had all but ran out of oil. 
The context of the famine she was living under had stripped her from everything necessary for her living. So the Bible says that she is here now simply picking up a few sticks in order to cook one last meager meal for her and her boy. And then they were going to die. The Bible tells us that she's a widow, so somewhere along the way she's lost a husband. She's lost uh, the source of her provision. She's lost the one that she loved, no doubt. She lost her way of life. She's lost any savings that she might have had. And because of the famine, she has lost her ability now to find any kind of employment. She's lost her ability to earn a living. She's lost that which was needed in order to properly care for her and for her son. She has no doubt lost even her self-worth for she's a mother who's about to watch her own son die from starvation because she does not have the wherewithal, the strength, and the ability to take care of this one that she had given birth to. She's lost all of her hope. She's lost all of her joy. She's lost all that was good and pleasant in her life. She's literally gotten to the place where she felt like she had almost lost everything. And so it is that she simply goes out side of the temple gates and she scrounges around to pick up a few sticks to make one more fire to cook one more meal and then she and her son are going to die. And it is here that we pick up the story for Elijah is obedient to the command of the Lord in the going to this city called Zarephath where our widowed mother could be found and we pick it up now in 1 Kings Chapter 17 and verse 10. So he arose, Elijah arose, and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And she, as she was going to fetch it, he called to her. He said, Wait, wait, I know I sent you to get some water, but hang on. Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. When you, when you come back with the water, can you bring some bread back to me as well? Verse 12. And she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake. I, I, don't, I don't have a loaf of bread. But I only have just a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and I may dress it or cook this, what I have left for me and my son, that we may eat it, and then we're going to die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it to me. And after you make me a cake, then you can make a cake for you and your son. For thus saith, now watch it now, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord's going to send the rain and stop the famine. Now, I want you to notice with me, give me your minds, that she now has a promise from the Lord. 
Not a promise from a man, but a promise from God himself that he's going to perform a miracle in her life. She's just been told that the Lord is going to turn her situation around for her favor and her benefit. She's just been given the gift of hope from the almighty God in heaven that her life is not going to end the way she thinks it's going to end. At least it doesn't have to end the way she thinks it's going to end. And yet, with the promise came a prerequisite. With the miracle came a mandate. For there was a prerequisite for her miracle and this change to actually become a reality. And that prerequisite was the fact that she had to become willing to take what she had left and give it to the Lord. She had to take that last little bit of meal and that last little bit of oil and she had to trust the Lord with the small, broken, and insufficient remains of her life. That's all she had. That's all that was in her possession. That's all she could hold on to, tangible thing in her life. That's it. That's all. That's all she had left. And it was that last bit of broken, incomplete, deficient, and inadequate reminders in her life and remainders in her life that the Lord wanted to see if she would give to him. Hear me? The Lord was not necessarily interested in what she had lost, but he was greatly interested in what she was going to do with what she had left. You see, because the difference between her dying and her receiving her miracle was that she became willing to do with what was seemingly insignificant, broken remains of her life. What are you going to do with those things? Because what you do with that hinges the future of your entire life? Will you simply keep holding on to those last remaining fragments of your life and die? Or will you become willing to give those fragments to the Lord in order that he may bring about your promised miracle? Come on, Jesus. So I know, I know, I know your boy is waiting back at home but for his last meal, but mama, what are you going to do? I know you've run out of all other options, but mama, what are you going to do? I know that's, that, that's all that remains in your life after everything has been stripped from you. So what are you going to do with the remains? And the next verse tells us what this mama does. 1 Kings 17, 15. And she went and she did according to the saying of Elijah. She did what the Lord told her to do. And watch the result. And she 
and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not. Neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the way God said it was going to be. Notice now, she took that which was broken and the insufficient and the negative remaining things that were in her life and she gave them to the purpose and the plan of God. She placed all that she had left into the hands of the master. And when she did, the Lord worked such a miracle so that every time she went back, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, late night snack, every time she went back to that barrel of meal, she'd reach her little cup in there and there was always enough. And she'd take that cruise of oil and she'd pour it out into the skillet and there'd always be enough. And the next day there was enough. And the next day there was enough. And the next week there was enough until the rains began to come yet again and the famine was over. There was always enough for her and her family to live. So I hear me now, yeah, she could have kept those broken, insufficient remains of her life all to herself and had one more meal and then her and her boy would have died. But when she became willing to give those broken, insufficient things to the Lord, it brought about a miracle of sufficiency and it brought about a miracle of the bountiful blessings of the Lord upon her life, upon her home, and upon her family hear me she witnessed the miraculous hand of the Lord upon her because she became willing to let go of the broken insufficient remains of her life come on somebody give God praise and so I've been sent to encourage somebody today to the fact that you need to let go of what's left. Come on, Jesus. For I just have to believe that I'm speaking to more than just a few in this place who know what it's like to be holding the broken pieces of your life in your hand. You know what it's like to have your world crashing down all around you. You know what it's like to have your heart broke in a million pieces. You know what it's like to have a marriage that's crumbling, a dream that's crumbling, a future that's crumbling, a hope that's crumbling. You've stepped into this room today and you're holding in your hands the mere remains of your life the remains of your aspirations the remains of your hope the remains of what was once a family the remains of what was once happiness and contentment remains 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 remainders of a life that had begun with such promise and such possibility like the woman in our story you have almost nothing left of real genuine value. 
I'm not preaching to everybody, but I'm preaching to a few. Oh, you may have homes and you may have cars and you may have things and you may have money in the bank and you may have stuff, but the things that bring true happiness are inadequate in your life to say the least because how many know homes don't bring happiness and cars don't bring happiness and money doesn't bring happiness. None of those things can bring happiness and you may have all of those things and you can stack them up high and you can point to everything that you have and everything that you possess but the real genuine things that bring true happiness like sand in your fingers slipping Barely, barely enough just to make it through the next day. Pushing yourself, pushing yourself, pushing yourself, pushing yourself, pushing yourself just to get up in the morning to face the day, to face the realities of the context of your life and the loss that screams at you. And it's to you that I've been sent to minister in order to encourage you biblically to become willing to let go of what's left. So that it might be taken from your hands in order to be put into his. Mm. God's talking to somebody right now. And here's why this is all so very important and necessary because you hear me now to those that I'm speaking to. You can hold on to the broken remainders of your life if you want to. And you can grasp tightly to the shattered remnants of your yesterdays if you so desire. And you can clasp firmly to the broken memories and mournful moments of days gone by if you want to. But the woman in our story spoke a very powerful statement when she told us of her original plan. For her original plan was to simply hold on to that which remained. And then she was going to die. Is that what she said? And that is exactly what I feel to tell someone in this room today. For somebody in the house needs to understand the fact that if you make that decision to just continue holding on to those broken pieces of your life, then you're going to end up dying in your brokenness and dying in your despair. If you want to hang on to what's left of your shattered emotions, you can. But you're going to be miserable and unhappy for the rest of your life. If you want to build up all those walls and if you want to put up all those guards in order to protect those last few shattered remnants of your living, you can do that. But you're going to live a life that is despondent and dejected and depressed and dismal. You can hang on to all of the broken hurts. If you want to, nobody can stop you from doing it. You can do what you want to do, but it's never going to bring you anything but more hurt and more pain and you will be dead a long time before you actually die. But I've not come with a negative message today. I've come to give hope today and I've come to give answers 
today. And I've come to preach so that some in the room might see the doorway out of your continual struggle and your continual darkness and the continual dilemmas that you face constantly. For the woman in our story became willing to give the measly remains of her shattered life into the plan of God and the giving of that released a miracle in her and the life of her child. I realize, yes, some uh, somebody has hurt you. I realize that this life may have not been too kind to you. I realize you've had to endure some pretty painful experiences and you've had to endure some dark and some stormy nights in your living. And I know those experiences have stolen precious things from you. And I know those hurts have stripped from you most all of your joy and most all of your peace and most all of your hope for a better day. And I I know that all you have left and all that's currently helping you get through the day is just that which is broken and shattered and even that's just about empty. But I've been sent to encourage you in the Holy Ghost to let go of what's left. For I know and I feel is so strong in the Holy Ghost. If you'll simply let go of the hurt and place that hurt into his hands, then he can take what's left and produce a miracle in your life. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you'll be willing to turn over those shattered pieces of your heart into his hands, he'll pick it up and he'll mend your heart and he'll put the broken pieces of your life back together is Come on, as long as those broken things stay in your hands, they're going to remain broken. So let go of what's left and put them into his hands so that the miracle worker can begin to do what he desires to do in your life. Uh, his hands, his hands, his hands. Let go, let go, let go, let go of what's left. I'm trying to tell somebody you think it has gone too far, but I've been here to tell you there's still potential for the miraculous in your life. If you'll get the broken pieces of your life out of your hand and get them into the hand of the one who can do something about it. I know it looks hopeless right now. I said, I know it looks hopeless right now. And I know it looks bleak right now. But trust me when I tell you, those shattered pieces that you're holding on to have the properties within them all for you to give them in his hands and for him to then turn it to perform the greatest blessing you've ever experienced in your life. I feel faith rising in the house. I said, I feel faith rising in the house. Let's make sure we're plugged into the moving of the Holy Ghost right now. Is there anybody in the house that can testify of the fact that what I'm preaching about is absolutely true? Come on. 
Is there anybody in the house that can testify to the fact that all I had left was what was broken? All I had left was that which was insufficient. All I had left was that which only brought me pain and suffering and tears and torment and trials and insignificant stuff. But there was a day that I made a decision. I'm going to give him that which I have left. And the moment it got out of my hands and got into his hands was the moment that the miraculous power of Almighty God God began to work and he began to mend my family and he began to mend my mind and he began to mend my present and he began to mend my past and he began to mend my future. Can I get a witness in the house that he can do it? He can't do it. He's done it for you and he can do it for somebody in this house. Let go. Come on, I'm not hyping you up about something today. I'm not just trying to hoop up your emotions today. I'm telling you about a real God that can fix real problems. I'm talking about a real God that really can come to where you are and make all things new again, but you got to let go of what's left. As I hurry forward, quickly we're introduced to a man in Scripture by the name of Lazarus. The Bible speaks about this man by the name of Lazarus, and he has now died, and it's been four days. Now, Lord gave me a little revelation. I want somebody to hear me now. And then we find in John chapter 11 and verse 33 that Jesus comes in contact with the people who are now affected by the death of Lazarus, his, his sisters and his friends and his on and on, and now Jesus is coming in contact with those that have experienced this loss in their life. And look at the conversation, John chapter 11 and verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, the sister of Lazarus, Lazarus was weeping. And the Jews also weeping, those that were connected to Lazarus, they're weeping, which came with her. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And said, now watch, and he said, where, where have you laid him? Where are the remains? And they said unto him, Lord, we'll show you where the remains are. Come and see. Notice, Jesus saw them. Stay with me. Jesus saw them weeping. He saw the pain etched on their face, the grief tormenting them. He saw the tears staining their faces. And he asks them, show me where the remains are. And because they were willing to give the Lord that which remained, he was therefore able to perform a miracle when he caused Lazarus to come forth. And that which was dead came back to life. That which was over had life once again. That which they thought was done and finished once again had life. But here's what I need for somebody to see today. The Lord did not perform the miracle and cause life to flow back into that which was dead because he saw their tears.
He didn't do it because he saw the grief. He didn't do it because he saw how troubled their loss was. You see, he was only able to perform the miracle when they became willing to give to Jesus and show Jesus what remained. Hear me in the Holy Ghost. God can't do what he wants to do in your life just because he sees the pain you're going through. God can't do what he wants to do just because he sees you crying yourself to sleep at night. He can't do what he wants to do simply because he sees the suffering that you're enduring. For he saw their weeping. He saw their hurt. He saw their tears. But then he said, will you show me the remains? For the only way he could do what he wants to do in your life is if you become willing to release that which remains into his hands. Come on, somebody. Woo. Some of you might be a little confused by point. Let me tell you and explain it to you. There are many who are sorrowful and they live lives of painful regret and misery and the tears are constantly their companion. And yet, they refuse to relinquish the broken pieces. Crying, crying, mournful, sad, terrible, lost all joy, lost all happiness, no future, no peace in their life. And yet, they're going to hold on to it. Does it bring them hurt every day? Yes, it does. Does it cause them to weep? Yes, it does. Does it trouble them every day of their life? Yes. And yet when God asks them to give to him the broken things that remain, they refuse. Because they are unwilling to let go of that last little bit of control. I can't control this, it's already happened to me. I couldn't control what he said to me and I can't control what she did to me and I couldn't control what happened when I was younger and I couldn't control this and I couldn't control that and the words and the pain and the suffering and the loss and the torment. I didn't have any control over that, maybe. But now there's something that I can't control. And what I can control is the hurt. And what I can control is the loss. And I can hang on to that. Because in their tortured mind, it's the only thing of real significance that they have left. Somebody needs to hear this preacher today. God knows exactly where you are. Don't confuse the seemingly... the, the, The fact that God is not seemingly working with with the reality that he doesn't know where you are. No, 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 no. He sees, and he knows, and he sees your tears, and he sees your late nights. Uh, He sees your pain, and he sees your loss, and he sees your torment. He sees your tears. 
but he can't fix it just because you're sad. And he can't fix it just because you're weeping. But on this day, because he knows you're crying and because he sees you weeping and because he sees the tortured torment in your spirit and in your mind that you live with every day, he's got a question for you. Will you take me to what's left? Will you be willing to relinquish from your hands? Come on, Jesus. Will you be willing to relinquish from your hands every bit of brokenness that is there and say, I'm no longer going to hold on to it just so I have some semblance of control. I'm giving it into your hands it is then it is then not when you're just weeping but still controlling but it is when you're weeping and your weeping leads you to relinquish control it's when you finally get to the point where you say I'm done living like this I've fought it long enough I've fought it long enough. I've rejected it long enough. I've resisted it long enough. I've tried to hold it all together all by myself long enough and I'm done. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done with this brokenness in my hand. I thought I could fix it. I thought I could make it work. I, I thought I could figure it out, but I can't, I can't, I can't. If I could have, I would have figured it out a long time ago, but I can't do it in my own hands. I don't have the ability to fix it. I don't have the strength. I don't have the wisdom, the wherewithal to do with that which is broken in my life, that which what I needed to do. So God, here you go. On this day, on this Sunday, Mother's Day. I'm relinquishing all of the bit of insufficient broken stuff of my life and I'm saying I'm done controlling it. I want you to control it. And the Lord said, I've seen your tears, I've seen you weeping, uh, but you haven't given me permission to do anything with it uh, because you still wanted to be in control. Uh, but now that you've given me the broken things, uh, now I can perform a miracle uh, in your life. Come on, I need somebody right now to agree with that preaching. Woo! Somebody in the house needs to know that other people in the house believe what I'm preaching right now and that it really can't happen to them. And the story of Lazarus, it's so interesting, the story of Lazarus. He said, show me the reins, show me the remains. And they made the comment and they said, you see, their first, their first inclination was to say, but it stinks. He's been dead four days. It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant. But they said, all right, we'll go ahead and show you. The first inclination, the first response is, I don't want anybody to see it because it's not pleasant. Uh, that's why I've been holding it on as long as I have. Because I feel like if I can cover it up, nobody else sees. Come on, Jesus. 
I feel like I could cover up all the hurt. And if I smile long enough, and if I laugh at the right moments, and if I act just the right way around other people, at parties, in my house, at work, whatever it is, if I can do that, I've covered it up. I've covered it over, and I can pretend and make everybody believe that everything's all right. But what they don't, but because what they don't understand is if they saw the real me, it would stink hurt and the pain and the sorrow and all the misery and all the junk in my life. It stinks. It stinks. It stinks. And even in this room right now, the Holy Ghost is saying, will you give me what's left in your first inclination? Your first thought is this. I've covered it over for so long. I've covered it up for so long. I've never allowed anybody into that broken pace of my life for so long because it stinks so bad. And your first inclination is to tell God, no, I can't show you the remains because of how wretched it is. But the Lord is asking you again, show me, show me, show me. I know it stinks. I know what it is. I know the pain. I know the tears. I know the crying. I know what's there. But you got to get it out of your hands and get it into my hands in order for me to do the miracle in your life. coming to a close but there's somebody in the house today even right now that you're saying oh preacher that sounds good but it couldn't happen to me it might happen for somebody but it can't happen for me I'm too far gone too much too much too much too much you don't know my story preacher you 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 don't know my story you don't know what I have hidden you don't know what I'm covering up you don't know the brokenness that is there that's a lie from the devil. And I want to prove it to you and I want to show it to you from the word of the Lord and then we'll be done. I want you to see this now. Again, give me your minds. But 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 10, back to our story. So he arose, the man of God, Elijah, he arose after the Lord told him to and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow woman was there gathering sticks. Now think about this for a minute and then we'll be done. God commanded Elijah to go to Zarephath, which was about a, a, an 80-mile journey. Now think with me. <laughs> Being me, I wanted to find out how long does it take to walk 80 miles. I mean, there's no cars. I wanted to find out. With an average walking pace of three miles an hour, this trip would have taken him 27 hours of nonstop walking. Now, chances are he didn't, he didn't walk nonstop. He had to stop to eat. He had to stop to drink. He had to stop to sleep. So more than likely, this trip probably took him somewhere in the vicinity between three to five days to walk that amount of time. After the Lord speaks it to him, he then has a three to five day journey. Walk, stay with me, walking. And then on the other side of the equation, you have this woman picking up sticks. She specifically says that she was going to take these two sticks and build a fire. Right? Think with me now. How long does it take? To pick up two sticks. 
a minute, two minutes, three minutes tops to pick up two sticks. Therefore, she's only going to be at the gate and available for an encounter with Elijah for about two minutes. And then she would be back home cooking up the last meal and dying. So Elijah is making his way on foot 80 miles, taking him three to five days. And he has about a one to two minute window of time to have an encounter with this woman. And yet, even though the odds were astronomically stacked against them, and even though the chances of them actually encountering one another were next to nothing, God had it all worked out. He directed the steps of Elijah and he directed the steps of this lady so at the lowest point of her life she could encounter somebody that would give her the answer for what she needed for a miracle. I've come to preach to somebody. Every step of your journey has brought you to this place. Every step of your journey has brought you to this time and to this Mother's Day service. I know you think it was your decision to be here, but in all of reality, God has been orchestrating your path for months and even for years so that you could be here today in order to get an answer for what you need for a miracle. It wasn't by accident that you were invited to be here today. It wasn't by accident that the steps of your life have brought you to this church today. No, God has divinely orchestrated all of this out because he's seen your brokenness and he's seen your despair and he's seen your tears and he knows you don't know how to get out of it. And because of that, he ordered your steps. So that you would encounter the answer. Come on, stand to your feet. So that you would encounter the answer that you need for the miraculous. Come on, sir. Don't miss out on your miracle today. Come on, ma'am. Don't miss out on your miracle today. He has divinely orchestrated this moment very possibly from the day you were born. It's not accident that you're here. He has ordered and orchestrated every step, every call, every phone call, every what you thought was chance encounter. Ordered it step by step by step so that a few minutes ago you would walk through those double doors. Make your way in 
and you would sit where you were sitting. And the man of God could come and tell you, if you'll let go of what's left and get it out of your hands and put it into his hands, a miracle is about to happen. I wonder if somebody could lift your hands right now.